minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Arab Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
We've had our fair share amount of pain. But I'm Miss Royal, don't give up. The finish line is mommy shot. So pack your bags, move game, shame, Baldahim. I'm Miss Royal, listen here. I know you've waited years and years. Don't ever think you'd feel us are in vain. For I'm Miss Royal, it is clear.
a show, so let your heart cry. In a troubled time, who you
p.m. in the a.m. Mendy Werdiger from the Tumid CD with uh, Bowie Vishalom here on a J.M. in the a.m. Friday morning broadcast. Uh, before that, Benny Friedman. Benny Friedman had a couple of uh, different selections. The um, the second one you heard was Fulfill Your Tzvila. Uh That's a very interesting and inspiring English song. Uh, before that, Lehi Sanege, Shabbos selection from uh, Kol Hanashamashali with All My Soul uh, from Benny Friedman here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, Shruli, uh, Yaakov Shweki had Am Yisrael off the Kolod album. You heard uh, Shruli Williger with Mim Komcha. That was a... Uh, a selection off of the Kalbach Friday Night CD. Regesh, Shalom Aleichem from Regesh Volume Number Three, and of course Regesh with Modaani opening things up. That comes off of Regesh Volume Number One here at JM in the AM. Good morning, everybody. It's a Friday on this July third, day sixteen in the month of Tammuz, the year five seven seven five. Erev Shabbos Parshas Balak with candle lighting time at 8.10 on this Erev Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 8.10, official candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos. A big thank you to Miriam L. Wallach for taking over during yesterday's live lunch. I had a last-minute uh, situation that popped up that was... Uh, unavoidable and had to be dealt with, so uh, she stepped in, and I thank her very much, Mary Mel Wallach, with yesterday's live lunch, and in general, a very interesting day on our stream at jmtheam.org and the NSN app, a very interesting day, with all the great Thursday programming we had, our season, quote-unquote, for our online network has, uh, or is later today, officially coming to a close, but uh, don't worry, it restarts immediately. <laughs> there may be some encore presentations and a little bit of a lighter schedule over the next month or so, but uh, don't worry, we're drifting as quickly as we can back into season number four of what we call the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, and a great day today, by the way, which I'll tell you about a little later on. Erev Shabbos Parshas Balak, as I said, candlelighting 810. Sunday's a fast day. Shavasar Batamuz, which is on the 18th of Tammuz this year, it will be observed, I should say, on the 18th of Tammuz this year, makes Sunday a fast day. And don't forget, as we uh, approach the 4th of July on the secular calendar, we are about to hit uh, the 39th anniversary of the amazing and incredible Raid on Entebbe, the miracle at Entebbe, God's gift, and the incredible um, celebration of the IDF that happened at Entebbe. Um, yeah, I don't mean the IDF was celebrating there. I mean we had an opportunity to celebrate how incredible the Israel Defense Forces are, and thank God for that. Anyway, if you're uh, if you're in a um, if you have a young family out there and they don't know what happened on July the 4th, 1976, aside from the 200th birthday of the United States of America, make sure to let them know. And if you yourself don't know, Entebbe, E-N-T-E-B-B-E, Uganda, become familiar with it. One of the great stories in modern Jewish history. 68 degrees, 65% humidity, winds are north at 3 miles per hour, mostly sunny with a high temperature of 81. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low 67. Tomorrow afternoon showers with a high temperature 
75 degrees. Yushalayim is at 80. Our good friends up in Guilford, New York, Camp Misora, they are getting ready to celebrate Shabbos number one of the 2015 summer season. Uh, they're at 47 degrees, heading up to 78 on a sunny Friday up there. Want to wish everybody a good Shabbos there, and of course, all the summer camps. We'll be, uh, we'll be heading up to Camp Hask a week from, I think it's a week from Tuesday. I hope I have that right. And this coming week, we are heading down to Houston, Texas. What role can we play in getting more attention and hopefully more support, both financial and moral support, for the Jewish neighborhood and community of Houston, Texas, in the aftermath of the horrific storms and flooding uh, right after Shavuos, you may recall. Um, so we'll be down there, and we'll meet a bunch of uh, wonderful people, I'm sure, and hopefully make an impact there and hopefully make an impact in the Jewish world around the world, uh, bringing the uh, situation of uh, Houston's Jewish community to the attention of our uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners. We look forward to doing that this week, as only JM and AM can. And um, more details, obviously, as we get closer and closer right here at JM in the AM. More coming up. Keep it here at 91.1 FM. 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Yeah, I'm in love. 
JM in the AM with Yoel Sharabi wrapping up hour number one this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Let's see. What did we do? Uh, Regesh had curry bone off volume three. Shalom Aleichem was done by Avramo Avram Freed. Seven o'clock in the morning on a Friday. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. We're going to listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sony and Robert Gold Studios. Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bullock with candle lighting at 810 will observe Shavasar Batamas the fast day on Sunday. Uh, great programming all through the weekend. Amazing shows today on the stream at jmtheam.org. We'll tell you about that. Tomorrow night, Saturday Night Seagull kicks off a great night of programming. And then, of course, Matis with JM Sunday, this coming Sunday morning live. On jmnam.org. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMN. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMN. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMN. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMN. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMN. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMN. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast הפוליטיקאי הפלסטיני מוסטפה ברגותי אמר כי הנער נורא היום למוות בדרכו לתפילה בירושלים. ההרוג הוא מוחמד הני אל-קסבה בן 17. מנגד צהל וגורמי ימין מגבים את המחת. כתבנו אינבל תמיר. משבוע שבית היהודי השר נפתלי בנט כתב בפייסבוק הקם להורגך השכם להורגו. אני מגבה באופן מוחלט את מחת בנימין שפעל מול מחבל, כך מצופה ממפקד בצהל לפעול. סגן שר הביטחון אלי בן דהן הביע גם הוא תמיכה במחת. גורם בפיקוד המרכז אמר לגל"צ כי המחת פעל כפי שמצופה מכל קצין או חייל שנמצא בסכנת חיים. האסיר הביטחוני לשעבר סמיר קונטר אומר כי בית החולים שהקימה ישראל לפצועים סורים בגולן שימש מקור לגיוס סוכנים עבור צה"ל. בריאיון לערוץ טלוויזיה לבנון נטען קונטר כי המקום נוהל על ידי אגף המודיעין של צה"ל. יחידה 504 השייכת לזרוע המודיעין של הצבא הישראלי פיקחה על בית החולים ומשימתה הייתה לגייס סוכנים ולאתרם. דברי קונטר. גורמי ביטחון בישראל אומרים כי קונטר מפקד קבוצת המחבלים שביצעה את טבח נהריה שריצה 27 שנות מאסר בישראל עוסק בהנחיית חיזבאללה בהקמת חוליות לשם ביצוע פיגועים נגד ישראל בגבול סוריה או לבנון אסיר בחלץ סלמון ניסה להתאבד בקפיצה. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת כי פרמדיקים של מגן דוד אדום מטפלים בו כעת וכי הוא נמצא בהכרה בסין נהרגו שישה בני אדם ברעידת אדמה הבוקר. כתבתנו עופרי אשל. רעידת אדמה בעוצמה 6.5 מסולם ריכטר פגעה הבוקר במחוז צ'ינגיאנג במערב סין וגרמה למותם של שישה בני אדם. הרשויות הסיניות מדווחות כי לפחות 3,000 בתים ניזוקו ברעש האדמה ומעל 50 בני אדם נפצעו. רעש האדמה פגע באחד האזורים הטעונים ביותר בסין. מחוז צ'ינגיאנג הנמצא במשולש הגבולות בין סין, פקיסטן והודו ובו גר מיעוט מוסלמי הסובל מרדיפה פוליטית. 
המשטרה תחקור האם מארגני מרוץ הלילה במצפה רמון אמש נהגו ברשלנות לאחר שמאות רצים שהשתתפו במרוץ הלכו לאיבוד במדבר באמצע הלילה. כתבנו רמי שני. מסלולי המרוץ לחמישה, עשרה וחמישה עשר קילומטרים סומנו בפרנסים כימיים ובמספר מקומות עמדו כוונים, מרשלים, שהצביעו לרצים על הדרך. אחד מהכוונים האלה טעה בהכוונת הרצים, דבר שהוביל רבים מהם למקומות אחרים מרוחקים מהיעד המקורי. הדבר חייב הפעלת כוחות חילוץ גדולים וכן מערך היסעים להחזיר את הרצים מהמקומות אליהם הגיעו. בעקבות ההתרחשות פתחה המשטרה בנגב בחקירה בחשד לרשלנות מצד מארגני המרוץ. כל הידוע עד עתה נחקרו מארגני האירוע וכן גורמים ברשות המקומית. תחזית מזג האוויר היום מעונן חלקית ומחר תחול התחממות. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי, ביצוע טכני אבי כהן.
Oh 
in the AM. Shabbos Take Me Home done by Ellie Schwebel off of the Heart's Mind collection. Before that, Kanesher from the Ton of the Vase CD released by Dirshu last week. Curry Bone, that's Avi Miller, a singer we introduced to yesterday out of Israel. That's his uh, Curry Bone here at JM in the AM. Zevi Kaufman and Shalshelis both had their versions of L'Chad Odi to open up the hour. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos Parshas, Bullock, candle lighting at 8.10. Sunday's a fast day. Somebody wrote on our app where is that comment? Somebody wrote on our app, please remind the audience, even though the fast is on Sunday, the three weeks begin on Shabbos, because tonight is the 17th of Tammuz, and Matzei Shabbos is already subject to those rules. Interesting. Hmm. All right, we'll keep that in mind. If you want to comment on the app, the NSN app is ready for your comment. Just go to the home screen on your Android or iPhone of the NSN, Malcolm Single Network app. And comment away, as we like to say. Malcolm Holmline will join us from Israel. That's right, he's in the Holy Land. Malcolm Holmline will join us for Israel, from Israel. Weekly update coming up here at JM in the AM. Hey, I want to wish a happy birthday to Naomi Nachman. Naomi Nachman celebrated a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Naomi. And speaking of Naomi, another amazing show today on Table for Two. Nine o'clock, right after JM in the AM, Jamie Geller joins Naomi from Israel. Uh, in the studio, Seth Levitt of Abel's and Hyman will help cook up some hot dogs with pitmaster and barbecue champion Mordechai Sticks. And uh, joining the crew is Ray Mendel Siegel, creator of the Rabbi Q barbecue spices and barbecue sauce. That's all coming up between 9 and 10 this morning. You'll be able to see it on the homepage of NahumSiegel.com. You'll hear it, obviously, on the network. Uh, that's happening between 9 and 10 this morning with Naomi Nachman 
and the table for two on jmandtheam.org. So make sure to be tuned in. Sunday's a fast day, as we keep reminding everybody. Oh, Naomi was up for her birthday dinner at Amsterdam Burger in New York City. Very nice. She posted some great photos. Looks like they had a very nice menu up there. Very nice. I like that. I make sure to wish her a happy birthday. 7.33, JM in the AM on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. I want to thank Miriam L. Wallach for sitting in yesterday during the live lunch. We had a uh, last-minute um, situation that had to be taken care of, and uh, she was a last-minute replacement, and I thank her very much for taking care of that. And a special good morning to uh, Doug, Sockloff and, uh, Doug Sockloff and everybody at Kitchen Sink. Um who continue to mesmerize everybody with those incredible recipes and deliveries nationwide. And a um, reminder that next week, courtesy of some uh, incredible and wonderful listeners, we are heading down to Houston, Texas, to do what we can um, in the aftermath of the massive flooding that took place, Matzei Shavuos, down there in Houston. The Jewish community and neighborhood has uh, suffered. Uh, some areas have suffered tremendously. There are ways we can help. There is awareness that needs to be uh, highlighted. And we'll do all that uh, during Wednesday morning's program. We'll be down there Tuesday, and then Wednesday morning's program will be dedicated to the uh, wonderful Jewish community of Houston, Texas. Uh, so make sure to be tuned in as we present that right here at JM in the AM. Mordechai Shapiro, the Yedidim Choir, Aaron Teitelbaum Orchestra. This is JM in the AM.
That's from a December wedding that Mordechai Shapiro and the Didim Choir did with the Aaron Tadabam Orchestra. And it was great being there last night for the Zahner and Frohlinger wedding. This took place out in the um, Old Westbury Hebrew Congregation. By the way, a big shout-out to Chef Barret. It was great seeing Chef Barret, and it was great <laughs> It was great devouring some of the treats he sent home last night. Uh, chef Barret, the amazing and incredible Chef Barret, is... Uh, in charge over there at the uh, Old Westbury Hebrew Congregation with the incredible people from Ram Caterers. The food was tremendous. But anyway, back to the back to the Simcha. Uh, Yisrael Lamb and Deli Cohen and the uh, entire uh, Aaron Teitelbaum Orchestra with, of course, uh, Aaron and Mutti J and everybody there. Um, wishing a mazel tov to the Zahner and Frolinger families. Uh, Perry Zahner of Woodmere and uh, Ruthie Frolinger of Woodmere. They got married last night to Karen and David Zahner and the whole family and to Lori and Leslie uh, Frohlinger and the entire family. Uh, both families, uh, amazing uh, families out there in the five towns. We say mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And it was just incredible. Uh, the um, the uh, the venue was incredible. The uh, music was incredible. Um, yeah, Aaron Teitelbaum and his crew uh, certainly wrapped up the wedding season in amazing fashion last night. Some Azalta from all of us here at JM in the AM. Weekly update and more all coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
I just told Malcolm that he was the uh, big uh, a big topic of conversation last night at the uh, wedding uh, last evening. Well, it was a two Woodmere families, and apparently Malcolm just recently had been at the Young Israel of Woodmere with a very very long presentation, but a very intense one, I am told, 
Friday morning broadcast. It's Jam and the Am on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's Bullock. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our live stream and our incredible network to their hundreds of thousands of readers, and we thank them. A big thank you to OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas.com. Not only do they have Simcha news online, not only do they have Simcha photos online, which are pretty remarkable, from all these Simchas, they have so many great photos uh, posted, but in addition, they are highlighting amazing stories in the Jewish world outside of Simchas, just general news items that um, would appeal to their readership, and a lot of our stuff, a lot of our content is on that list. So we thank OnlySimchas.com. If you haven't seen them recently, please check them out. It is worth a look uh, because they have been completely transformed and have completely expanded into all these different areas, and they're doing it very, very well, like just like they've been doing from the very beginning. So thank you, OnlySimchas.com. It is much appreciated. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Today he joins us from Jerusalem here for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again, as always, and especially from beautiful Jerusalem. Yeah, what's it like there in the capital of Israel? In the united capital of Israel and the Jewish people, it is beautiful. And many people raising questions about certain actions uh, this week, about quite raising questions about the, the distinction between it, parts of Israel and, the, uh, and quote, territories uh, in regard to the BDS campaign, which yeah, but I don't, uh, you know, is appropriate. I, I saw your statement on it, and you got to give me a little bit more detail, because it seemed like in your statement, uh, when you went ahead and supported the congressional anti-boycott legislation, which I'm sure you'd encourage everybody to support, but you did mention that the the language has problems in that it does not distinguish or it does distinguish. Explain the problem in terms of settlements and final negotiated borders between Israel and the Palestinians as reflected by this legislation. Uh, I have no problem with the language, and we don't. Well, the problem was the State Department had problem with the language, which the president signed into law without any comment, and which during the debate the members of Congress made clear this was not about settlements. It was not a law governing you know American policy towards quote the territories or or towards settlements. It was a law about BDS, but it does say. Uh, it does reference the boycotts of Israel and the territories because the the anti-Israel forces, the BDS forces, use this as a as a means to delegitimize Israel by starting and saying we're boycotting products from the West Bank and then products from Israel. Second, they wanted to include Jerusalem, mm. uh, which is by some definitions across the Green Line and therefore not uh, recognized yet as part of of Israel. So. The uh, the legislation itself was not a political statement. It was a moral statement and one that sent a message to Europeans and others and, and urged American trade representatives and others to to work to counter any kinds of attempts to, to join in the boycotters sanctions movement against Israel. The State Department announced that they were troubled by the language and wouldn't implement that part about the, the territories. Interesting. And... So you, That's what we responded to. Right, so you felt that that additional language or additional words were necessary because that area of Israel has been targeted especially by the BDS movement. It, because they were especially targeted, right. and, uh, and the, the drafters, the members of Congress, were the ones who felt that the language was essential 
to reinforce the point that they were trying to make. All right. Um, is this? How does it work practically now? Uh, the United States will or won't do what with countries or with um, companies that are part of BDS? Well, as you know, there's also state legislation being passed. The New Jersey introduced one now, which we have a little bit of a problem with, and I hope the New Jersey listeners will make their voice heard because it exempts and uh, organizations or even companies that provide uh, Palestinians with aid, mm. when in fact it's many of those organizations that are at the forefront of the BDS movement, uh, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement. Uh, but the initiative, of course, is, is an important one. The exemption could be problematic, and a lot of groups could hide behind it. The New York State has, as you know, and uh, Tennessee signed in South Carolina has very strong legislation. Tennessee weaker one, Illinois strong legislation, and 30 other states are considering it. Now with, uh, with the FTA, the free trade agreement, to which this is attached, mm. uh, the, the anti-boycott uh, resolutions, it means that on a local level you can't do business with a state or a pension plan if you abide by the boycott. And on a federal level, it means that steps have to be taken and there have to be reports about companies that uh, are found to be adhering to the boycott. And so is there mention in FTA about supporting you know, aid organizations or that wouldn't fall into no. this? Because it would be irrelevant to this? Yes. Well, it wouldn't be relevant. They don't make an exemption. The New Jersey legislation, for some reason... Uh, exempts them, and there's no reason that nobody should be participating in the boycott. And if you're, you know, we, we saw this week with the flotilla that, uh, you know, much ballyhooed, but quick end to it without very little, it, it just fizzled at the end. Why? Because Israel boarded the, the boats. There was no, uh, and, and were very well prepared. There was no confrontation. They, in fact, gave them letters saying, we welcome you and all that. And if you really want to give aid, we can tell you how. Right. And on the boat, the total aid was one nebulizer and one solar panel. That's it. Two little cardboard boxes were the total of the aid. So it's really clear that this was a propaganda ploy. But this is a group bringing aid. So they theoretically could hide behind that exemption in the legislation um, to carry on their activities. Is it likely they were not looking for a violent confrontation, or they just assumed the Israelis would be much better prepared than in the infamous incident? Well, I think Israel was better prepared and took precautionary steps, but I think that this group and that uh, the Israelis made clear that they understood that they were not interested in confrontation. They had verbal debates with them. The former president of Tunisia was on there because he has nothing else to do. And the other three boats <laughs> turned back, did not even attempt to, to run through the... You boats. don't know the schedule of the former president of Tunisia. Come on. Oh, we do. <laughs> uh, it's a safe assumption. <laughs> all right. At least you're admitting that you're just assuming so. Uh, you know, it's Fourth of July weekend, and... Uh, Look, I don't want to, you know, alarm anybody and, uh, you know, cause a stir out there, but, um, it, it, the, and I also don't know if these training camps that I have, that I have heard about are necessarily quote unquote ISIS training camps. We know there are a lot of different training camps in the United States of America, right? Including in New York State. A lot of different radical groups are in a lot of different places. Um, we know there have been threats specifically targeting, you know, 4th of July weekend. We know we saw what happened yesterday, uh, which I would assume, you know, put up, uh, you know, some warning signals around this country in terms of what can happen, especially, you know, in high-profile locations. Uh, is there 
I, I always ask you this during high-profile times, whether it's the high holidays or, you know, uh, American high-profile times. Is there any reason to be more alarmed this weekend than any other time based on the threats from ISIS? Not to be more alarmed, but to be more aware. Not because of the, not in terms of Jewish targets, but generally, although Jewish targets are always juicy and, and, um, um, Desirable. more likely than general uh, targets to be hit, but not, not, uh, anymore. As you see all over, it's Christian sites, it's, you know, archaeological and historical sites, it's, uh, uh Egyptian police, it's, uh, bathers in Tunisia on a beach. I mean, it's everybody everywhere, which is exactly what we warned about all of these years, and that everybody who thinks that it was Israel's problem or that they were exempt from it has found out that this is a universal problem and it takes a global approach to deal with it. So people, yes, should be more aware. We're, in fact, having next week in Washington a, an exercise with Homeland Security and uh, selected Jewish leaders to, to discuss and to prepare and we're looking at a global plan to to work um, the security issue and and to cooperate with our counterpart communities in Europe and elsewhere um, to work together and and also because we we can learn things from them just as they learn from us and making the resources of everyone collectively available can only enhance the efforts. This is a huge issue and the amount of monies that are required, the amount of resources are staggering. So we have to find ways that we can be most effective at the least cost. Yeah, boy. Uh, and it's and it seems that the federal agents are working overtime this weekend, especially in high-profile areas. They are. The NYPD, I assure you, is, and they have always been very effective in, on this front and, and uh, we're at the forefront of it. Um, the local FBI leadership has been very responsive to it. And look, it, it, it's impossible to prevent every act. Yeah. People uh, will then d- yeah. dismiss them because of it is wrong. Malcolm, it's obvious that you know, I'm dancing around it, but uh, it, obviously it came across my desk this week, the number of training camps for you know enemy groups that are quote-unquote in our backyard, so... I know, I know you know what I'm talking about, and it just, it's, it's startling at times. And, and if people listen to this show for the last, what, 10, 20 years, they know we warned about it, we've talked about it, but, you know, it's very hard. And then, then people say, well, this is, uh, you know, we don't want to, it's gloom, it's doom, it's, ne- it's negative things. It's not negative. It's reality. If you know about it, you can do something about it. If you mm-hmm. don't know about it, you can't. We shouldn't exaggerate it. Uh, the camps, the most of the training is online. People don't know about, but here in New York, you had a blatant camp where they were using t- targeting school buses for shooting practices and uh, pra- and other things. That uh, I know this, the state police and others monitor these places, but it is obviously of concern. Uh, is it a proper forum for Michael Steinhardt, the president of the Judy and Michael Steinhardt Foundation, to call out Ambassador Power and ask, "Will you defend Israel?" at the U.N. as you promised. One of the paragraphs reads, first you refused to rule out supporting resolutions that target Israel, then you resisted, quote, making blanket declarations and hypothetical resolutions, and now, when pressed to affirm that you would not risk the safety and security of Israel threatened by this highly biased French resolution, you hid behind a lawyerly, quote, there is no resolution in front of us. What do you think of bringing this to page five of the New York Times? Well, I, for one, am not in favor of uh, generally of making the New York Times richer, and don't know the value of ads, and people generally don't read 
uh, I asked people about it. And most almost everybody looked at me with a you know blank look that they hadn't seen it or hadn't read it. Um, Michael Steinhardt is a credible person, and uh, um, I think he was uh, expressing something because he had hosted a meeting for her a number of years ago. Is his point yeah, on these target? Are legitimate questions to okay. raise, but it but it is wrong on the, on a number of counts. One is she does not make the policy. Number two, she has been fighting on many of the fronts for us, as the Israeli ambassadors at the UN have attested. Um, and, and most recently, the United States is standing up in, in Geneva and at the uh, UN on the, on the uh, various resolutions. And the fact is that there isn't a resolution, and there may not be one, because the French this week, and, and indicated to me as well, French officials told me as well that, you know, if the Palestinians don't want it, which is what Fabulous heard, and the Israelis don't want it, or if we face a possible uh, veto, uh, then we then there's no reason for us to introduce it, and instead they shifted, if you noticed, to this quartet plus. You remember the quartet led by yep. Tony Blair right. of the U.S., the EU, uh, and he adds to it now the Palestinian, the Arab states, that he wants to have a quartet plus, <clears throat> and of course Russia was was part of it as well. That. Uh, you know, I think that these are generally poised. These are not things that are going to be productive, and especially not home at a time. And and this week we saw it. If you remember, I mentioned last week that that uh, Fayyad had been targeted by Abbas, and it seemed very strange. And they they froze his bank accounts because he clearly saw him as a political threat. Now right. they went after Yasser Abdrabo, a name that you and others who follow this for the last since 1971, he's been a leader and was Secretary General of the Fatah Central Council. Now, he was arrested, and he's been charged, and they believe it's because <clears throat> the, the, the charge indicated that he was part of some conspiracy and, uh, and maybe a coup. There's no coup, but these guys are all potential threats to Abbas's leadership, and we're seeing the deterioration that Fayad, who, who was Mr. Clean, whether he, in fact, I'm sure it's all relative in the in the PA, which is a kleptocracy all throughout. But we saw uh, Erekat, the, the leading negotiator of the Palestinians, coming up with new proposals, suggesting a new negotiating stance, which, <clears throat> I'm sorry, which is completely retroactive in the same that it goes back to the stages. Remember, we take what we can get and move on, write a return, withdraw recognition of Israel. I mean, everything that they had supposedly put forward over the years. Unbelievable. Before we, uh, before I go to station identification, I, I got to mention one thing, Malcolm. <laughs> Kudos to the Inbal Hotel. The phone line sounds ten times better than your Brooklyn phone line <laughs> on a weekly basis. <laughs> well, I'll do it from here all the time. If they love me. <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. Alex, I don't know what you're doing over there at the Inbal, but I'm going to investigate when I'm there a month from now because it's just incredible. Malcolm, home line is live in Israel. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. You know, it's funny, you uh, you got to Israel right in the middle of, you, you know what the big headline in Israel was when you got there, That's this whole gas and natural gas situation, which I'm now starting to finally understand why it is such a headline in Israel. Essentially, Israel or a private company in Israel is sitting on an, an incredible amount of natural gas under the water, and because of disputes over cost, 
taxes, I assume revenue sharing and things like that. Everything is stalled. Does that basically sum up the situation? As far as I understand it, yes. And uh, Caroline... But I don't understand it either. Yeah, it's very difficult. And you know me. what? We have so many issues here, and I'll be seeing the Prime Minister and others in the next days. I, I assure you, this is not an issue I'm going to raise with him. No, that I understand. I'm sure, because it's painful, for one thing. But you're right. In Israel, it is a big issue. Well, that and, I understand. And it's one of a series of domestic issues that are problematic now. I understand you won't raise it, but you know, some would suggest, including Caroline Glick this week, that that Israel's shooting itself in the foot. That instead of cooperating and trying to move forward with these things and bringing in more investment money from other countries, they're they're losing billions of dollars now on a regular basis in foreign investments. And it dissuades people and right. foreign investment. So we know that. That is a serious issue. And, you know, <clears throat> in this region right now, Israel is an island of stability, increasingly so. I mean, if you look at all the reports we see now uh, over the last days, putting Iran aside for now, but even with BDS and everything else, that Israel's economy is, is sustained and it continues to uh, grow its, its uh, GDP and the population is growing. It is a stable place, generally. You know, we saw the reports that Hamas and Hezbollah's growth in Europe, in Germany, for instance, they said that, um, I think, there were 950 or 60 active Hezbollah agents and 300 Hamas agents, and posing a threat to the domestic situation in these countries. <clears throat> and these people were trained in Turkey and funded by uh, um, Iran that went to, to carry out terrorist attacks, and Israel is preventing them by and large. So why they have to shoot themselves in the foot over these kind of issues, not explicable. But uh, it, there is precedence in Jewish history for this type of activity, so we shouldn't be, <laughs> we should, we shouldn't be surprised. Terror attacks this week. Here's a, here's a topic to bring up with the Prime Minister, because many people, I'm sure, around the world, and certainly in Israel, are concerned about the safety and security of, of people who are just traveling on the roads. We know that Malachi Moshe Rosenfeld is among the victims of terror attacks this week. Uh, he, he and three friends were ambushed. Uh, his father, one of the founders of Kochav HaShachar, a, a town that means a lot to these, uh, to our listeners here, because our good friend Shlomo Zwickler lives there, and it's very, very, Close with the Rosenfeld family. The um, this is a topic for the prime minister. As you know, we're not in the middle of a war now, thank God, and it's not like last summer. But these continuous incidents over the last three, four weeks, there've been one or two high-profile incidents per week that claim lives or cause injuries, and that's something that could be brought up at the prime minister. This general safety in, and security. Uh, absolutely, and it is a top priority here. There were. I think in 2012, 600 and almost 700 incidents, and in 2014, over 1,800. So the growth of new tunnels, I apologize, I don't know what's the matter, that, uh, and the other activities are a great concern to the people, and unfortunately you have incidents every other day. There's no question about that. All right, Malcolm, uh, seems like every week you're trying to help me and our audience understand more about ISIS and the and those who are trying to defeat ISIS. Let's start with Syria. Apparently, Syrian rebels this week, again, I try I try to try to decipher which are real news stories and which are not very difficult these days, but apparently Syrian rebels this week went ahead and executed ISIS fighters in the same manner that ISIS has been executing of others. Have is this is this uh, now a an even playing field? Are Syrian rebels making progress against ISIS? And the, and the enemy? 
yes and no in different places, yes and other places no. <clears throat> but the the practice has now has been going on for some time. The executions, the the example set by uh, ISIS is being replicated all over. So there are those who are giving ISIS fighters a taste of their own medicine? I, I wasn't aware of that until I saw this article. It's revenge, and there's a lot of anger, a lot of families who have lost people. I can imagine. The vast majority of people have. And you see those and, who are running with their families and just desperately trying to get out of ISIS areas at this point? And look what's happened to the Yazidis. Their buses were turned back at the border. I mean, this is really painful and horrific and reminiscent of other periods. No question about it. And very and, and a large uh, amount of silence from Washington and other places on these issues. In fact, did you see the study that showed that, that of the $500 million allocated to train rebels here, less than 100 rebels are here. In the Middle East? Being trained in the U.S. Oh, in the United States. Because you're, you're in the Middle East. You're in the Middle East. I thought you that meant that. they won't come and that they're not committed and that they... Um, and they're afraid, and, and, and it's also difficult to find any who are not tainted by extremist affiliations. Egypt is um, fight, battling ISIS in the Sinai. Are they making progress against them there? <clears throat> yes and no. <laughs> I guess it is the order of the day, by yeah. the way. And, and, and but just one second on Syria. Look what they did at Palmyra, destroying these ancient artifacts. Right. And now there are reports that ISIS has taken over the area of Al-Kibar, which is where... The reactor that Israel bombed was located, and supposedly there's 50,000 kilograms of natural uranium somewhere in that region, and they fear that they will get hold of that. The, the growth of the activities in Sinai, which has been building up for some time, there have been more than 300 attacks. The Egyptians killed nine uh, Muslim Brotherhood leaders in, a, in an raid in an apartment. Um, these are all connected today, al-Qaeda or ISIS, rather, in Sinai becomes an amalgam of different groups who declare themselves ISIS. But Hamas has allegedly been associated with it. Now they're trying to distance themselves from it. The Egyptians did accuse them of being involved in, in, the, um, in the attacks in the Sinai. Uh, the fact that you had so many people killed and that there could be such coordinated attacks is you know, somewhat frightening, and they say they got anti-aircraft equipment and other things from Iran, from others, um, and we're seeing that Hamas's leaders went to meet Nasrallah in uh, in Lebanon about uh, the reports of backdoor channels to Israel, and Hamas's close ties to the ISIS in Sinai has put them now in, a, in an additional vice, and they're being challenged in Gaza by ISIS, I mean, by the ISIS in Jerusalem, as it's called there. Challenge, so, to, challenge to do what? No, for the leadership. They want to take over. They think that Hamas is too close to Israel and Hamas is too moderate, and that's why they fire the rockets and why they've uh, challenged them on a number of fronts. So it's bad enough that Gaza was turned into a terrorist state under Hamas leadership. Now it actually could be become ISIS leadership. An ISIS base. Wow. And everybody, and, and the implications of that are quite clear to everybody. And well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, if, if, if last summer would then be considered a taste of what's to come. Unfortunately, there are people who are talking about the fact that there will be another war. There'll have to be some sort of an action. But in fact, Hamas does not want to see an escalation right now. They don't think they can afford it. And they don't want it. <clears throat> but the events in Sinai are raising the stakes. 
Um, all right, so the date, uh, the, the the final day of June has passed. We're now on July 3rd, so we're officially past the deadline in terms of the deal or potential deal or proposed deal, whatever you want to call it, with Iran. The the last formal agreement, and formal is a bad word, the, the, the last framework that anybody has seen, was that the one in April? Was that the last framework of a exactly. deal that was it yes. so it's already that's, it. that's already almost three months old nobody has a cl- right. i shouldn't say nobody has a clue because there's some people in the know but we have absolutely no idea including yourself have no idea what 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 difference there is between where they are today and what was agreed to or discussed back then i wouldn't include myself <laughs> you might know it no okay <laughs> Every, nobody really knows and the members of congress don't know yet and part of the deal of the legislation that was passed by Congress and agreed to by the president, signed by the president, stipulates that he has to reveal even the secret codicils. Now, the question is, will we have an agreement altogether? Will they put it in writing? Will he not have to submit it because it won't be in writing? And what understandings are reached that we, we don't even know about if they reach an accord? So it's not clear yet what the ultimate uh, schedule will be. And remember, July 9th is an important deadline because after that, Congress gets 60 days rather than 30 days during which the deal is held up. So the the um, the question of what's in the deal, we see so many rumors and hear that there are associations and that they have some formula by which, without intruding into military places, they'll know. And the latest <clears throat> new thing, new twist, and it's hard to pin it down, I've tried, is that the inspections will only take place if they have reason for suspicion and that the IA inspectors have to demonstrate that they have a basis for suspicion before the inspections will take place. Well, that just negates the whole value of the inspections. The anywhere, anytime seems to be out of the window. And we see how the budget, for instance, of, of Iran, they, they increased by 50% the money to the IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guard, 40% to the Ministry of Interior. Defense spending up 33%. So does anybody think that the money that's going to be released is going to help domestically and help the people, help the economy, or it's going to support their activities of Hamas, Hezbollah, terrorism around the region? And so there's a lot of false assumptions built into what will happen, what happens to the hundreds of $140 billion sitting in escrow accounts. And that's in addition, you know, the, the Iranians are saying they want the relief right away. The United States says it'll be staged. That is one of the sticking points. They're not yet at an accord, but I guess people who bet would bet right now that they're likely to come up with something by July 9th. It is not certain, though, because some of these principles that Khamenei has laid out, uh, even the United States, even the negotiators can't bypass. They're saying that they want the April accord that you mentioned to be adhered to, and it has to be the basis for any agreement that is uh, that is reached now. You know, you said something that's unclear to me and I'm sure unclear to others as well. I mean, I understand this congressional review, whether it's 30 days or, nine, or 60 days, you just explained. But does Congress have a right to, or, or I should say it other, other, in another way, Congress will then have a right based on their you know perusal of the agreement to do what? To bring it to a formal vote, to make a recommendation to the president? Must they vote it down? They can vote it down. Is, yes, but is, they can't stop it because the president will will veto, and they have to have enough votes to override the veto, and that's what the battle is right now. But even more so, <clears throat> even if they, but but Congress can control the release of the sanctions. 
that Congress implemented. Yeah. But they can't control them, the parties, the P5 plus 1, from going to the United Nations and removing sanctions. And what you will have is then the onslaught of all the businessmen running to Tehran. The French foreign minister has said he's going to go to Iran the week after or shortly after the signing of the deal, but 100 businessmen were told to prepare to go in September to start bidding on contracts and working uh, to, to do business with uh, Tehran. And so the, then they'll come back to American business and will say, look, we're being shut out because of the congressional yeah. action. But on my point, there's even a bigger problem if, you, if, you, if you're one who would not like to see a deal with Iran at this time and don't, don't trust the Iranians. The, the lobbying that the president and his administration are going to be doing in Congress to make sure that they have congressional support is going to probably be unprecedented, right? Probably, probably the most or close to what we've seen at any point during this administration. That's how meaningful this this agreement's going to be to the White House. You agree with that? And, and, and I agree that it will be like for the health care. Right, and that's going to be I very agree that hard. It will be intense, but I think the counter efforts, as you may have seen in the papers already, describing efforts by grassroots groups and others <clears throat> to get the message out to elected officials about why this is dangerous for America. It's not for Israel. It's not for the Jewish community. This is bad for America, that Iran represents a threat to us, our allies, our interests, and why this has to be stopped. When will they have international uh, ballistic missiles, Iran? Or do they have it already? They have ballistic missiles. They can hit Europe. And the weaponization, we don't know, because it's not covered by the agreement. So we don't know the degree to which they have already advanced their ability to fit a nuclear warhead onto a missile. And there will be missiles eventually that could hit North America at some point. That's the next stage, yes. And and we also don't know many other things, like <clears throat> the, the amount of enriched uranium being taken out, that it's not meeting the criteria that were set, how many centrifuges, the new centrifuges, the centrifuges that are being allowed to be used for non-nuclear research. Nobody even talks about it because how fast can they be, be converted and be used again for nuclear research? You know, it's such a complicated and complex topic, and people, you know, look at it in black and white terms. You can't. This is, it's, it's really very hard. And the PMD issues, the, the possible military dimension issues, are really at the heart of it because if you don't have the baseline to measure it, then the inspectors have no idea where to look and if they see it, to measure it against what was and to see the level of violation. The one assumption you can all make is that Iran will cheat because they always have. Yeah. And members of Congress recognize it. And I think the American people, they do not trust Iran. That is and the black and white part, by the way. There is some black and white here. That Yes, I'm saying on that issue. Right. But the complexities of each of these things that are presented sometimes to the American people in simple ways. I mean, I can't figure out what does it mean if you have to be able to show that you have some basis for assumptions. Everything should be available. If you don't have ready access to military sites and other facilities, then they can hide it. They have done it in the past. It wasn't we who discovered most of the, you know, uh, Natans and others. It was dissidents in Iran who tipped us off, or international community that tipped us off to to the existence of these places. Yeah. Well, no, normal behavior would be if your enemy is is arming itself and uh, you know has has proven to be one that's ready to take on anybody in this world that you try and to... is doing it now. As you cite, I mean, all the terrorism. Who's supporting Hamas? Who supports Hezbollah? Who's behind them? Who's funding them still? And and they are working against their their neighbors, against the the countries in the region, let alone against Israel. And many people this week were calling that they have to 
<clears throat> I'm sorry, change their policy. Will there be an agreement before the end of the Obama administration? I'm not even asking you about the end of July. Will there, I mean, is this possible to just linger on until the administration ends? Well, that would be very dangerous, too, I think. You know, there are people who say better no deal than a bad deal, which is true. But the problem is that throughout this time, Iran's income is increasing. Iran's economy is growing. And people told me who just came back from Tehran, Iranians, that you see fancy new cars around. You see the, the people, you don't see demonstrations, a great deal of fear. They rule by fear. Uh, there is an upcoming election, which is a, a big issue for them, but, you know, they can always manipulate the result. Um, uh, so the idea that this could drag on is very possible, you know, that, that uh, the Iranians will say, well, we, another six months, another three months, another two months in the U.S., which is hell-bent on getting a deal, as are some of our allies, even though they complain about the U.S. negotiating position, but they're not doing much better at it. Unbelievable. Uh, normally you would think that um, people would take every precaution possible to keep these <laughs> weapons and and potential destruction out of the hands of the enemy. But the, the thought of it, if people understood all the ramifications and why for years, for 10 years, 20 years, I've been talking about the Iran's nuclear program since 1988, because we knew what Iran will do with this, and they've lied and obfuscated all along, and they will continue to do so. And though people don't like, they are bizarres. They can run circles around the Western negotiators. The, you know, they come in charging, charming. You see the pictures of them sitting around laughing at the table. You're laughing with a guy like Zarif, who himself has been a Holocaust denier, who himself has played a critical role. Rouhani, all these guys who played a role in the in the bombings of the Amiya and the the Jewish Community Center. These are not innocent individuals, you know, who are pro-West and bringing new light and enlightenment. They have long histories. By the way, speaking of people with histories, I think we should note the passing this week of Nicholas Winton in, in Great Britain. Yeah, I didn't even at know the there age, was a British uh, Schindler. At the age of 106, whom nobody really ever talked about, right. and because he didn't talk about it for 50 years. And it was only by chance that his wife found the records in the attic that it came out that he had saved 659 Jewish children in Prague. <clears throat> he himself is of Jewish descent. And had his parents converted to Christianity, and uh, they took the name. It was originally Wertheim, and then they became Winton. Um, and in order to assimilate, thinking they would progress better, he became a stockbroker. Was on went to Prague, found out about the children, organized eight transports. Unfortunately, there was an additional transport with 250 children, which was stopped at the border, and those children, by and large, perished. They were taken and allowed to get into Britain if he put up a bond for each one. And if families in Britain were willing to guarantee that they would give them a home, the Dutch, you know, gave them a rough time in it. I don't go through the whole history. Uh, and what's interesting also is that 357 or so of the, of those he saved have not been traced. So they may not know their real origin. Unbelievable. And the story. An era when compassionate behavior was the exception. Like today, where uh, normalcy sometimes look is the exception. Look what's happening with the Yazidis. Look what's happening. <clears throat> now the, the deal may have been made to allow, between Assad and ISIS, to allow them to take control of the minority areas, which means that they will just wipe them out. Yeah. 
scary yeah, the stuff. The UN Human Rights Commission is only obsessed with one thing, and they're voting today <laughs> on the condemnation of Israel. And how will that vote go? Oh, let's see. It's hard to predict, but I think against Israel. <laughs> That's a wild guess. Shockingly enough. Um, Malcolm Holmline, live from Jerusalem. Malcolm, thank you so much. Enjoy Shabbat in Yerushalayim, and good luck with those meetings with the Prime Minister and uh, all the other great work you're doing. Good luck. Hatzlach in Israel. We will give him chizuk from all the listeners of JM and the AM worldwide. Appreciate that. A lot of people are very concerned, that's for sure. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays here at JM and the AM. Candle lighting at 8.10 on this era of Shabbos. Sunday's a fast day. We'll observe Shavasar Batamos, which starts tonight. We'll observe it on Sunday. Uh, because uh, obviously tonight is Shabbos. Tomorrow, you, you get my point. Uh, July 4th is tomorrow, 39 years ago tomorrow on the secular calendar. One of the most amazing episodes of modern Jewish history. If your children don't know about Entebbe, please tell them about it. If your grandchildren don't know about it, please tell them about it. If your children and grandchildren don't know about it, please tell them about it. Kol HaKavod Latzahal. Um... So, I, I, I tried to get a hold of Matis, but I couldn't uh, find them. Uh, I mean, it, I, it's my fault. I just tried to get a hold of him like about a minute ago. <laughs> but I thought he would join me for the big announcement. According to the main event caterer's calculator, Ruthie and Joey Bodner are celebrating happy anniversary number 25. That's right. The calculator goes all the way up. To 25, Ruthie and Joey Bodner in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Our friends at Main Event Caterers and everybody in Teaneck and the entire Jewish world join us here at JM in the AM uh, to say happy anniversary. Mazal tov from all of us here at the JM in the AM. So there you go. Ruthie and Joey Bodner celebrating 25 years uh, Mazal Tov from all of us here at JMM. Oh, and happy birthday, Naomi Nachman, who celebrated a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Naomi. She's coming up with an amazing show a uh, half hour from now on our stream at jmm.org. And happy birthday to Jamie Rohr, uh, who's now Jamie Turkell. That's right. As of last Monday, she's Jamie Turkell. Jamie Turkell is celebrating a birthday, and she is a great uh, uh, NSN staff member. And we say happy birthday from all of us here at JM and the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Bolok. Parshas Bolok, while it does not contain any of the 613 mitzvot of the Torah, in its 104 verses, it does contain many important hashkafic, philosophic ideas that have maintained and sustained the Jewish people till this very day. Very interesting that these principles have been charged to us through Bilam. And our rabbis tell us, as we know, 
Lokam be Yisrael od Kimoshe. There was in Israel no other prophet with as great or with the potential of Moshe. Bilam was for the non-Jewish world, so they couldn't say, if we only had a Moshe, you had a Bilam. And as you'll see in a moment, there was a very sharp distinction between them. Bilam is hired to curse the Jewish people, recognizing that our strength is in our ability to communicate with God and as much as he tried as we're taught in the fifth book God transformed his curses to blessing because ultimately God loves the Jewish nation and so in this parsha, there is the charge to the Jewish nation that their survival will depend on their remaining separate and distinct from the other nations of the world. As we are told, Hain Am Lavad Yishkon. Behold, it is a nation that will dwell in solitude. Moreover, the prophecy that there always will be Jewish houses of assembly for prayer, for study. This too is found in the familiar verse, Matovu Ohalecho Yaakov. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob. Mishkenosecho Yisrael, your dwelling places, O Israel. And finally, the assurance that a Moshiach will redeem the Jewish nation at the end of history is found in chapter 24, verse 17. Dorach kolchav miyakov, a star has issued from Jacob and a scepter bearer has risen from Israel. And the Rambam in his Hilchos Melachim, chapter 11, verse uh, paragraph 1 notes that whoever denies the concept of Moshiach is denying the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. In the fifth chapter of Avos, the ethics of our fathers, in Mishnah 22, we are taught of three differences regarding the character traits of Avraham and Bilam. Avraham, the Mishnah teaches us, had an ayin tova, a good eye, ruach nemucha, a humble spirit, and a meek soul, a nefesh shvala. Bilam, on the other hand, had an ayin ra'a, an evil eye, ruach kivoha, an arrogant spirit, and a nefesh rechava, a greedy soul. Now the good eye is usually understood as one who is not jealous of the next one's success. Usually understood in a materialistic form. However, 
Rav Yosef Sholem El Yoshev, in his Divrei Agada, notes a sharp contrast between Moshe and Bilam. When Moshe is told back in Parshas Baaloscha, Eldad Umeidad Misnabi Eldad Umeidad are prophesizing in the camp. Moshe's immediate response was, Mitain, oh, would it only be that the entire people of Hashem could be prophets? Not only was Moshe not jealous of these two, but rather Moshe was most willing to spread the wealth of the knowledge of God. In contrast, the Midrash in the Yalkut Shimoni in Yisro, chapter 268, teaches that when Hashem was about to give the Torah, the entire world stirred and realized that something extraordinary was about to happen. And we're taught that all of the kings gathered to derive counsel from Bilam. And they asked of him, as we recite in Tilim Choftes, Hashem Lamabul Yashav, meaning, has Hashem reverted back to the flood? And Bilam assured them that he already vowed not to destroy the world. Rather, he was giving his Torah to the nation of Israel. He then, according to the Medrash, sent them each back to their respective peoples. Now Rav Yoshev notes that Bilam had them literally in the palm of his hands. He could certainly have utilized the moment to spiritually energize the world by encouraging them to accept the seven Noahide laws based upon their divine origin. But Noah's excuse me, Bilam's Ayin Ra'ah, his evil eye, prevented him from sharing spirituality with others. This was a dark moment in world history. Another one, the Talmud in the Gemara Chulin 92b notes that while the nations of the world violate their seven Noahide laws, there are at least three laws that they do keep. And they are, one, they do not write a marriage contract, exuba, for males. They do not sell the remains of a human corpse. And they honor the Torah. And how sad it is that in the times in which we now live, there's a flagrant violation of all of the above. To begin with, recognizing that there's a need for organs, today it has become prevalent that a cardiac arrest donor, having given explicit instructions, can have the plug pulled on the respirator, and his organs harvested shortly thereafter for what will soon be a lucrative price. 
This is an outright violation of murder in accordance with Jewish law. Last Friday, on the 26th of June, 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States legalized gay marriages throughout the United States. It's amazing how history repeats itself. Historians attribute the downfall of both Greece and Rome to their accepted sexual immorality. And the Medrash in Bereshis Rabbah 26.5 teaches that the final straw that broke the back of the generation of the flood was their writing a marriage contract for males and for humans with animals. Note that the Bible at the end of chapter 22 in Bereshis teaches Alkain Yazov Ish is Ovivis Imo the Dovak be Ishto Vahoyu Lebasar Echad. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This was directed to all of mankind, and this is a direct violation of the third law cited above in the Gemara Chulin of their having regard and respect in yesteryear for the Torah. Aside from shame and disappointment, how might Torah observant Jews respond? Interestingly, again, we learn from Bilam. The Gemara in Sanhedrin 106a teaches that Bilam taught Elohehem shall Elo, the God of Israel, Sone Zimo, cannot tolerate immorality. And therefore, as we find at the end of the parsha, he therefore advised Moab to entice the men of Israel, and unfortunately, this plan had its initial success. It is interesting to note, the Beis HaLevi, in his opening teachings on Parshas Noach, addresses the following question. The Torah states that all of civilization was to be destroyed, as Kihishchis Kol Basar is Darko Ala Oretz. Literally, all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And Rashi cites the Gemara in Sanhedrin 108a that even the animals, the beasts, and the birds cohabited with other species. And the Beis Halevi asks, Hayitochein. It's understood that man who has free will regarding his morality, he can choose to conduct himself in an immoral fashion. But animals who don't have free will, how did their natural inclinations change?
And the Beis HaLevi answers that the actions of man have cosmic consequences. And as a result of man's immorality, the animals, the lower strata of society, were negatively impacted. I find it most ironic that the rainbow flag that has come to symbolize gay pride and rights. Take a look. Unbeknown to the committee who created this flag in 1976, our Holy Torah has taught in Beratius chapter 9, verse 15, that the rainbow is a symbol of God's anger towards man. And were it not for his oath not to destroy the world again after the flood, the rainbow serves as a clear indicator that man has angered his creator. We begin this Sunday with the fast of Shavasar Patamus. Indeed, the 17th of Tamus is tonight and tomorrow Shabbos, but we do not fast on Shabbos, the period of the three weeks begins literally with Shabbos, but the three weeks in terms of its observance culminates with the fasting on the ninth of Av. Aside from the formal restrictions of haircuts, weddings, and live music, this time is meant to be a period of introspection and self-scrutiny. And as tuma, impurity, spreads its ugly negativity to the rest of society, tahara, sanctity, purity, and holiness as well can uplift and enhance society. Rav Pam Sechetzadik Levracha was wont to cite the Gemara Kedushin that if the owner of an animal consecrates the leg of an animal as an offering, the state of holiness is mispachetes. The Kedusha encompasses the entire animal. And even those that disagree regarding a leg, certainly if one consecrates a limb that is vital to the life of the animal, the entire animal becomes holy. Thus, our response must be as well a greater hispashtus spreading of sanctity, a greater adherence and appreciation for the laws and privileged lifestyle of Kedusha, sanctity that we live by. Each and every bracha that the Jew recites must remind us, Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvosav, who has sanctified us with His commandments. And just as even a small amount of light can dispel a great deal of darkness, we pray that our increase of Kedusha, of sanctity, will not only protect us and our families, but increase His presence in the world.
Shabbat Shalom to all. Jam in the AM, my thanks to Rabbi Yudin. It's Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Parshas Balak with candlelighting time at 8.10. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday's a fast day. JM Sunday is hosted by Matis Weingast, who's with me live via telephone. Matis, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good Erev Shabbos, Nachum. By the way, we might be joined by Rabbi Krohn because uh, he's speaking Sunday in Brooklyn for uh, Shabbos Ratamuz, and then he leaves for a uh, for a journey. Well, to, well, whatever. He'll hopefully join us in the next couple of minutes. Beautiful. So, Matis Weingast, that's it. The three weeks format kicks in rather yes. abruptly this coming Saturday night. That's right. That's right. But there will be programming throughout the, the days on the network. What do you plan for JM Sunday? What special guests do you have lined up for JM Sunday? Well, it's possible that I will have a fast day consultant. I'm mm. still trying to arrange that. Very nice. But After all, we'll be playing appropriate uh, tunes for the uh, day. After all, nobody would fast if there was no fast day consultant. That's true. <laughs> These days, you need a consultant for everything. And we could discuss the whole thing about it being on uh, the actual date being on Shabbos, but we reserve it on Sunday. Right. As you know, some fasts are pushed uh, ahead. It would be it would have been uh, uh, commemorated, if you will, yesterday. Right. But for these sad ones, uh, we don't want to jump the gun. What are your feelings on the matter, Montes? <laughs> you want to know my feelings? Yep. That's my feelings are if it was on Shabbos, you're not allowed to fast. Exactly. That's, that, that's what shocks me. What shocks me is that in Jewish history, nobody came up with that one. If the fast day is Shabbos, in that year you don't fast. And that's right. the end of it. I, I just never got that. Wow. Where were our people when we needed them? Where were the people who think like us when we needed them? <laughs> well, I guess that is, it's funny you say it, that's part and parcel of the three weeks and the tragedy of not having the base of Migdash. We also don't have a Sanhedrin that we could bring these questions to. I know, boy. Oh, it's a good point. So I guess, yeah. And even we... if we wanted to, even if it could be done, right. and even if everybody agreed to it, court's not in session. Can't be done. Yeah, I got you. All right, we got we got a big announcement, Matis. You know, you and I traditionally um, uh, make announcements that are uh, centered around numbers. Uh, right. People know that when they tune in, usually around March time, to JM and they're hearing a lot of numbers because that's when we do our fundraising. We continue to support the show each year. And, um, Matis, you and I have been made aware of a big number out there, and I felt I should put you on the air and uh, bring you on, and uh, you'll help me make this announcement the same way you helped me make the big number announcements, you know, earlier in the calendar year. Absolutely. So, here we go. Uh, Matis, according to... <laughs> I can't even get the words out. <laughs> Matis Weingast, according to the main event caterer's calculator... Ruthie and Joey Bodner are celebrating anniversary number... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Anniversary number... 25. One more time. Number 25. There you go. Ho-ho. Where's the big crowd cheering that we usually get in the... Uh... I, I do have to tell you, I... Oh, by the way, by the way, I think my I, I think my crone is with us. So I'm gonna just ask my crone to hang on for one second. What did you say, Matt? To yeah, say it again? I, I, I was gonna tell you that I heard the announcement before Rabbi Yudin, right. and the reason I didn't call right away is I, I put a call out to Ruthie to find out if she wanted to rededicate the calculator. <laughs> but I did hear that she does want to rededicate Joey, so that's it. So she's re she's renewing for a 26th year, huh? Amen. All right. Have a great show. A- anybody familiar with the uh, with the routine? 
around fundraising time, you understand that that's a joke, but right. but but a good joke. Hey, Mata, stick sure. around. Are my cronies with us? Do you mind staying with me? Sure, I'd be honored. The uh, the legend himself, Rabbi Pesach Krohn, is going to be in Brooklyn, New York, this coming Sunday. Uh, he is part of the Merkaz HaSimcha Shavasarvatamu's program, which begins at 6.15 with Mincha. Rabbi Pesach Krohn, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. You're the legend, not I. No, I disagree with you. Hey, um, before you head to Poland, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you have to be in Brooklyn on Sunday night. You're familiar with that? Yeah, I sure hope so, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Aaron Mandel is a wonderful person, and he has three speakers speaking about when tragedy strikes. Now, the two other speakers, Rabbi Sassoon Nebuch, of course, nobody can speak about this topic better than him. So he's going to talk about when tragedy strikes an individual, like unfortunately it struck his family that Friday night. Rabbi Orlowick is also speaking, but I'm going to be speaking on a different venue. When tragedy strikes to others, how do we react? In other words, what chizuk do we do? How do we uh, face another person what can we do to help another when tragedy strikes wow that's a very important topic i'll tell you that much that's a people a lot of people myself included get into situations where we feel uncomfortable not quite sure what to say or do you'll address right. you'll address all that on sunday right must be one of di- the things that i want to bring up is a a gewaldic avoid that ramey shapiro said by the mental bailers trial and uh he knew that they would ask the question that the Gemara says that Adam Atem, that Klai Yisrael is a mensch, and the Ein Umas Ha'olam, Kruyan Adam, and the Goyim are not considered, or the Gentiles are not considered an Adam, so doesn't that sound racist? And Rabbi Meir Shapiro gave a fabulous, fabulous answer, and it's so true, it's exactly what the Gemara means. He said, Adam Atem. In other words, we as Jewish nation are all one. If Hatzor Shalom, a Jew, got hurt in a shul in Dallas, we would feel pain. When something happens in France to Jews at the kosher store, we feel pain. But uh, uh, Goy, what does a Goy in Arkansas care what happens to a, to a Goy in Colombia? We are Adam. We are all like one nation, one human body. And so when tragedy strikes, there's somebody else. We feel the pain, and we have to know how to respond. Wow. And ironically enough, we are... Uh... We at JM and the AM are heading down to Houston on Tuesday for that exact purpose, to uh, give support and chizuk to the community as it continues to rebound from the massive floods of uh, Matzei Shavuos. We're going to be there right. this coming week, Bezrat Hashem. And I describe it, and we did this a year ago and really made it uh, a well-known phrase because of the three boys. Uh, I describe it as collective Jewish pain, the the, the, the one Jewish body, as you uh as you put it, it feels well, that... I think I'll quote you, collective Jewish yeah, pain, that's exactly what it is. We feel that Very collective good. Jewish pain, which is just, yeah. uh, like you say, it happens in France, we feel that. Matis, anything you want to add to this uh, part of the conversation? Well, I, I don't know if people know the, the history, the story behind the Bayless trial, but just very quickly, um, he was somebody accused of, a Jewish person re- accused of the ritual uh, murder that they uh, always accused people of back in 1913. And one of the things that uh, he said... they. The authorities tried to get him to uh, incriminate himself, and they promised him that there would be a release of all prisoners that are, uh, were in hard labor. He refused. He said, even if the doors are wide open, I will not go out. I want a fair trial so people can hear what the truth is. Wow. Boy, I'll wow. tell you. A lot of heroes in Jewish history, that's for yeah. sure. Hey, Matis, what are you doing? What's, when's July 7th, Matis? What day is that? That's, uh, that's Tuesday, I think? Tuesday is that Tuesday? night. So Matis, what are you doing? What are you doing Tuesday, Matis? You can go to Poland with the right crone if you want. He's... Believe me, I would love it. it. It 
sounds it's always well, sounded amazing well, every time you go, Rabbi, and, and lead the group there. Well, what's something. holding Matis, what's holding you back? Rabbi Crone says he has one space left. What's holding you back? Come on. I, uh, I might have to be around to sub for a show. You're going to Houston. I don't know. You know that's, uh... <laughs> Rabbi Crone, Matis is using me as a convenient excuse. <laughs> that's not Let fair. Malcolm, I'll tell you something fascinating. You know, one of the things that I do on these trips is every godel that we go to, in other words, whether it's Lachet or Rabbi Meir Shapiro, Tishiva Moplino, the caver of these Fasemas and the Kedusha Rim, I always say Divrei Torah that they said, and this year, I found an, a new thing that is so fabulous that the Chedusha Rim said that I think all your listeners and all of us should know. You know, we have a minigan in Israel that we make siyumim during the nine days. Right. Now, most of the people, especially in camps, think the reason we make a siyum is so people should be able to eat fleshics, right? Right. Because how could you go nine days without eating fleshics, <laughs> never? Right. Right? <laughs> but, but the Chedusha Rim says that's fabulous reason. He says that's not the reason at all. He says that we know that the reason the second base of Migdash was destroyed was because of Sinat Chinam. So when a person makes a Siyam and people come together and join him and are happy with him, that adds unity. That's going to bring back the base of Migdash. That's why we make Siyam. Very nice. Very nice. Isn't that beautiful? I like that. On on, on Tuesday, my crone heads to Poland, part of Project Misora, five-day trip. You're back when? On Sunday? Sunday late afternoon, I've prepared over 33 speeches. I don't know if I'll give all of them, but uh, it is the most intense trip that you can imagine. Every person who was ever on that trip says their life changed. And, and, and it's open to everybody, men and women. And, everyone, and you're, be, and you're being, and you're being, and you're being serious that if someone wants to join right now in those last couple of spaces, yes. they could literally, they could literally head out with you on Tuesday and do yes. this five-day trip to Poland with you. Right. And I'm just telling you, I tell people on the Wednesday afternoon opening speech that by Friday night, all of us are going to feel that we know each other for years. <laughs> Nobody believes it, but Friday night, everybody comes over to me and says, you know, how in the world did you know that? Unbelievable. That's what happens. Could you believe that we have had reunions of, of every time we make a trip? We've had reunions. There was a Mrs. Solney who made a reunion in her home and. In, uh, in Manhattan after one of the trips, and recently we had in one of the Sephardic fellows who came from the Syrian community. I remember I once spoke to another leader. He said, I can't believe this. After 10 days, I can't wait to get rid of these people. Rabbi, I have a question for you. You become so tight. It's, it's like brothers and sisters. It's amazing. Rabbi, I have a question for you. Since um, you're also known as a, a Moel and a well-known Moel. Have you ever had the uh, occasion when you've gone on these trips to these faraway places to uh, be called on to do a bris, maybe in an unusual circumstance? Or totally wow, that's unexpected? a great question. One time it almost happened in Vilna, Lithuania. There's a Rabbi Fima, who is a fabulous person who does a tremendous amount of cure of work in, in Lithuania. And um, we were once in his camp, and there was a boy who was going to have a bris, but just the last minute it just didn't work out. You know what happened? I'm sorry. You know, I'm saying basically it's hard to bring a knife into Poland. Well, I was going to say, Matis, that Rabbi Crow was ready to do it, then he remembered he forgot his knife, so that's the end of that. <laughs> All right, anybody who wants information about going to Poland with Rabbi Crone this Tuesday, he's not kidding. You could literally join at the last minute and do the five days. The list of everything he does is pretty remarkable. Call 845-642-3819. That's 845-642-3819. 3819 or just go online to projectmisora.org, projectmisora.org. Everybody, Krona Siatova, thanks for joining us.
you. Thank you for having me. Matis, thank you. Great Shabbos, Nachum. And happy anniversary to Ruthie and Joey Bodner from all of us here at JM in the AM. Boy, oh boy, that's it. That is it for the pre- Three weeks format here at JMAM. Naomi Nachman has an amazing brand new edition of Table for Two coming up next, 9 a.m. Eastern time on our stream at jmnam.org and the NSN app. Plus, you can see it on nachomsegel.com on the homepage. It is a great show with an amazing lineup, as we outlined earlier. And, of course, Ked then presents an incredible Erev Shabbos music mix all day long on our stream at jmnam.org. Make sure to be tuned in all through all the way until candle lighting time. And it is a late candle lighting time, all the way until candle lighting time for that. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw Oh, oh.
Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up a great week here at JMNAM. Don't forget, next week we're going to be heading down to Houston. Uh, doing a radio broadcast that'll air Wednesday from the uh, Jewish community that was uh, devastated by the floods of post-Shavuos, which you'll recall. We'll be down there in Houston, Texas next week, plus, of course, our three weeks format, plus Charlie Bernhow joins us Thursday, and that'll be with some great cantorial selections appropriate for the three weeks. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till next week, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.